What? College matters. What? College, college matters. matters. Really? For sure. College matters. Alma, Alma matters. For me, I really wanted to have an impact, right? Mm-hmm. And to have that impact, I wanted to create something like you can you can have an impact by running a program that many people come to. And you can also have an impact by enabling somebody to do something they wouldn't have thought they could have done before. Right. Mm-hmm. So serving that need. So I really focused on kind of starting from that need and then going and then branching out to what can I do to serve that need? That is Asanshay Gupta, 2023 Koch Scholar and a recent graduate of Atlanta International School in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, I'm your host, Venkat Raman. With this episode, we continue a select set of conversations with high schoolers about their outlook for their futures. We are joined by Asanshay Gupta, who will be a freshman at Stanford University the fall of 2023. Asanshe has been passionate about building products with impact to real people. What's more, it was the right fit for him and it helped him learn better. During his high school years, he built an eye-controlled wheelchair and an oxygen app during COVID. In this podcast, Asanshe talks about his passion for building products, winning the Coca-Cola scholarship, his college search process, and his advice for high schoolers. Now, before we jump into the podcast, here are the high fives, five highlights from the podcast. From a very young age, I've always been interested in creating stuff and like mm-hmm. ba- making things that other people can use, right? So mm-hmm. starting with like little games, like in sixth grade, I made a, a love calculator app for my friends to mm-hmm. do whatever sixth graders mm-hmm. like to do. Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind was creating a simple app that would calculate for each machine how much oxygen it would consume in a certain amount of time. So mm-hmm. I built that that app fairly quickly over a couple months and eventually we got it to the market uh, mm-hmm. very quickly and I released it on the Android store, the Google play store. And mm-hmm. it reached about 200 doctors within the first couple months. I was looking for a way to pay for college and yeah. uh, it seemed like a good way to pay for college. So yeah. I applied. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but I also looking at the Coke scholarship and just like the people that I've one in the past and kind of the network of people who I would be able to meet through the scholarship was really like really crazy to see. And Mm -hmm. it was just really cool to like realize that I could be a part of that. When I was looking around, I was looking at computer science, I was looking at engineering and I was looking at kind of a more interesting way of thinking, like a more product design kind of way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So I looked at some of the Northeast schools, didn't love them. I, mm-hmm. I really liked MIT. Mm-hmm. I really liked Yale. I liked Harvard. I liked Dartmouth and then Columbia. And then, but the other ones didn't really call to me as much. So mm-hmm. I looked on the West coast. I really liked UC Berkeley and I really liked Stanford. 
it mainly matters that you're doing something that you really enjoy doing and you do things your own way. Because as soon as somebody tries to imitate something else, mm -hmm. it becomes like you're not working at your full potential, right? These were the high fives brought to you by College Matters. Alma Matters. Matters. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For my newsletter, visit almamatters.substack.com. Now, I'm sure you want to hear the entire podcast with Asanshe. So without further ado, here's the podcast with Asanshe Gupta. If you're ready, we can jump right in. Yeah, of course. Cool. So um, maybe the best place to start is tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a sunshine and I'm from Atlanta. And yeah. from the last couple of years, I've been working towards not only getting to also kind of building up a system of product-based learning, right? So where mm -hmm. you learn through making actual things that impact actual people around the world. And I think that's something unique. And mm -hmm. I'd love to talk more about like kind of how I got to that point. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about your high school or how, your interests, what kind of person you've been in high school and uh, the kinds of things you've done. Yeah. So for me, the high school experience was really a base for the rest of my learning. So most of my high school was focused on kind of complementing what I would do outside of school. So mm -hmm. it wasn't really at the forefront. Like I wasn't really like the valedictorian of my class. I didn't have perfect grades. I didn't do like a lot of extracurriculars, but I really focused on something to build on. So mm -hmm. I went to a school where every student does the IB diploma. So through my junior and senior year, I did two years of IB courses, which were math, physics, chem, econ, French literature, and English literature. Mm -hmm. So I came into the college process with that general kind of foundation of having done a lot of IB courses, but it wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily like the key focus for me. And the other two years of my high school, year nine and 10, were completely taken over by COVID. So I mm -hmm. was at home basically those entire years. And that really mm -hmm. gave me more opportunities to explore my own interests as well. Yeah. So because the virtual school workload wasn't as much as kind of the in-person school workload would, would have been, uh, mm -hmm. I was able to focus more on my own projects and extending my learning beyond the classroom. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like the general idea of my high school. I did do some extracurriculars. Like for me, a really meaningful one was robotics, uh, which is... Also, yeah. I guess, kind of product-based learning, but in a more organized environment. Uh, I did yeah. mock trial. And I did, like, science up at math club. But those were, like, less prominent in my kind of life. They took up less mental volume. So maybe this is a good time to dive into your product-based learning approach. Tell us about it. Tell us sort of how you got to it and why it has proved sort of beneficial, at least by, you know, maybe based on your outcomes or results or your experience? So from 
from a very young age, I've always been interested in creating stuff and like mm-hmm. ba- making things that other people can use. Right. So mm-hmm. starting with like little games, like in sixth grade, I made a, a love calculator app for my friends to mm-hmm. do whatever sixth graders mm-hmm. like to do. Right. Yeah. I started making stuff like that. I started in sixth grade as well. I made an investment simulator app and I had the whole middle school hooked on it. They're spending mm-hmm. hours in class. Like, I basically gamified investing before it was popular. And it was just mm-hmm. a small app. It was just a small project that started, but it ended up encouraging to, to use it. And that was really interesting to me to see like my friends using something just because they thought it was fun. Right. So mm-hmm. seeing people genuinely impacted by something that I did. So mm-hmm. as I moved, I wanted to keep that going and Mm -hmm. for me I worked on a couple major projects throughout my high school which I kind of fleshed out a lot more than those first two that I mentioned Uh, Mm -hmm. so the first one of them is an eye controlled wheelchair so this one happened at the very beginning of COVID when I was kind of at home and I didn't really know what to do I was watching a bunch of YouTube at that time and I saw a video of Stephen Hawking and yeah, it was just really cool to me, like how Stephen Hawking, who was fully paralyzed, was able to, I guess, move around and communicate so effectively from just his wheelchair. And then I looked up the wheelchair and I was like, that's $75,000. Most people yeah. who are paralyzed don't have $75,000 to spend, even if it would be a transformative thing for their lives, right? And imagine mm-hmm. how many people might be like as brilliant as Stephen Hawking, but... Mm-hmm like kind of not able to express themselves because of their condition. So that's what really encouraged me to start this project. And I was targeting a much lower price range. Mm -hmm. So I'm a learner who learns a lot through doing, right? I never had kind of robotics background, the computer vision background before starting this project. And as I went through it, I would always try new like kind of sub projects to learn the, the skills that I needed. So I made like smaller user interfaces and a lot of prototypes to kind of build mm-hmm. up to a final product that was like fully eye controlled and included safety features and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the biggest learnings from that. And really one of the other things that I learned from this project specifically mm-hmm. was how, how to work with others like outside of, just you, because obviously I don't know anything about people with paralysis. I didn't know anything about like what was required for a wheelchair. I didn't have the money to build this. So mm-hmm. starting with the funding, I reached out to my school and my school had a grant program that was from mm-hmm. actually from the entire IB. So they provided, I think, 30 IB students with funding to make like an idea a reality and I applied for that and I ended up winning in the summer to my freshman and sophomore year. So that mm-hmm. really kicked off like the journey because now I had the means to make something that I kind of wouldn't have without because sure. it's a pretty expensive project to be able to build like an entire eye controlled wheelchair. And then in terms of the other things, I really learned like the benefit of cold emailing, right? I mm-hmm. emailed so many people about the wheelchair I got a response from one person who knew somebody else and Mm -hmm. sent me their email. So then I cold emailed them. And at that point, 
I finally got a really good response and I was able to talk to people from the Shepherd Center, which in Atlanta is uh, the biggest like neurological trauma yeah. center. Uh, mm-hmm. So I got to talk to a physical therapist there and uh, a wheelchair expert over there who's really able to help guide me in my process and make sure that what I was doing was rooted in like who I was trying to impact, which were the, the paralyzed people themselves. And that was really valuable for me to understand that as a student, you might not have like all the resources around you, or you might not have like a preset knowledge of like a certain topic, mm-hmm. but you can always like reach out to people who do have that knowledge and mm-hmm. kind of build off of them to make things that actually have an impact because you're a student, right? Your goal is to learn in the classroom. So why not learn more outside? Tell us a little bit about this product. I mean, what, what did it do or, you know, how did you make the eye control happen? So it's, essentially we're using a laptop and we connect a camera to it. And with mm-hmm. that camera, it basically detects like kind of the positions of the eyes. So mm-hmm. the where you look on the screen, you might have seen like some demos in gaming or things like that. But we mm-hmm. made it used to control the wheelchair. So I made it like an interface on the screen that would show different arrows. And if you looked at like the forward arrow, you could drive forward and drive backwards and so on and so forth. Okay. And there's also a speech system built in. So it was basically like a budget solution of what Stephen Hawking had. No, that's, that's, uh, and so what, what, what would it cost if, if you were to make it? So Stephen Hawking's would cost 75,000. Yeah. And mine at the max level would cost mm-hmm. around $3,500. Yeah, But the biggest thing about my design was how modular it was. So we designed a system that essentially can adapt to whatever the patient already had. Because there's a a lot of our expense came from actually building the entire like powered wheelchair, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty like big thing. But Mm -hmm. if a if a patient already has a powered wheelchair, we can mm-hmm. take advantage of that powered wheelchair and like connect to its controls and control mm-hmm. that powered wheelchair that they already have, saving them like, let's say $2,000 of the cost. And hmm. a lot of the, the algorithms that we were running were running on a Windows PC. So mm-hmm. if the patient or somebody close to the patient was able to donate a Windows PC, we would save even more money cutting it down by 800 extra dollars, right? So the product itself is very modular and adaptable to what the the patient has with them. And it's able to kind of serve the patient as, as well as it can, like depending on their situation. So what, do you, what are you doing with this? So what, what have you done with it? it? It's just in kind of a state of like, what's next because I'm not Mm -hmm. sure uh, as I'm about to mention my focus really shifted uh, in a couple of weeks after I had finished like the main working prototype and yeah if it was to be implemented to we haven't actually implemented it with like an actual paralyzed user but we've tested it like extensively with non-paralyzed users like acting like they have no range of motion Uh, Mm -hmm. But if it was to be tested, it would definitely have to have more safety features built in. Yeah. And that's something 
I'm still working on uh, on adding before hopefully we can bring at least this one unit to market, if not scale it. Okay, so you said your focus shifted. Where did it go? So another thing that was happening at this time, this is during the peak of COVID, right? So around mm-hmm. the time that I had finished that first iteration of the wheelchair and submitted all the stuff to the grant, shown that I would finished that, I, I was kind of looking for new projects to pursue. And right at that time, there was a second wave of COVID in India. And yeah. my family's from India. So I would hear every week about some other relative, some other celebrity, some other person has passed away from COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And that was pretty crazy. And yeah. actually, my grandparents, so my grandfather works in a ventilator company. But since mm-hmm. he's high risk, he's a senior citizen. Uh, mm-hmm. He's He wasn't able to go into work. He wasn't able yeah. to, I guess, like, go in when his company, like, kind of needed him the most. So he was kind yeah. of really bored and kind of bummed out at home. And mm-hmm. so I was talking with him, and he mentioned that one of the biggest reasons why these second wave of COVID in India was so impactful was because the hospitals were literally running out of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, they weren't able to treat as many patients as they could if they had mm-hmm. the right oxygen or as he's, he said that a lot of the oxygen just wasn't budgeted properly. It mm-hmm. wasn't like controlled because there was literally some intern working on organizing those like the oxygen supply so yeah this was a kind of a big opportunity for me to make something because i thought like i could make something that could help do that to prevent like re- reduce the load on the hospital at that time and mm-hmm. a lot of it came down to there's just a lot of calculations to do to make sure each machine gets the right amount of oxygen for each patient and yeah. the doctors and the medical professionals didn't have the time to do those calculations like when their hospital is literally overflowing with patients. So yeah. the first thing that came to my mind was creating a simple app that would calculate for each machine, how much oxygen it would consume in a certain amount of time. So mm-hmm. I built that, that app fairly quickly over a couple months and eventually we got it to the market uh, mm-hmm. very quickly. And I released it on the Android store, the Google play store. And mm-hmm. it reached about 200 doctors within the first couple months. And I was pretty excited. I like worked on the iOS app, which is basically the same as this fairly simple app and mm-hmm. released it to the iOS app store. But mm-hmm. actually when I thought it got rejected. Mm. So that was a pretty big kind of challenge and everything had been going pretty smoothly until that point. Like, so it was pretty different for me to mm-hmm. like see. Also, the rejection said your app has been rejected for minimal functionality, which was something mm. I really wasn't expecting because it was there on Android. And I thought that since it reached 200 doctors and was working well for them, it would it was like a genuinely functional app. But when yeah. I looked at it again, I realized that that app was really limited, right? It was its only goal was to reduce that load of that one calculation that they would do every day, which was kind of not very much and not very functional as an app. So I really, 
it was pretty hard for me to like kind of accept that and realize that I need to restart and yeah, I couldn't just like release that app. If I wanted to impact as many people as it could, I would have to kind of restart from the, from scratch. So I started again from scratch. I drew this time instead of just like going into it, like coding, 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 I drew out every screen before I did many stages of like kind of visual prototyping to make sure that the app looked and felt like as I wanted to do and had the right functionality. And eventually after a total of like about a thousand hours, I released mm-hmm. the the app to both iOS and Android. And the new yeah. app was like way more functional. It was more robust. It could manage like the entire hospital. Like it would basically control or not control, like display like the values needed for the entire hospital at a current yeah. moment and into the future and based on the history and, and things like that. And that was really helpful to hospitals compared to the first app. So it mm-hmm. ended up growing in the same time that the first app reached 200. This app has reached 1,800 people. And I think now it's up to above 2,000 total hospitals all over the world in, I think, 100 countries, which is pretty crazy to see. Uh, and it received, like, commendation, I guess, from the the congresswoman in my district, Nikima mm-hmm. Williams, as well as the Indian Society of Anesthesiologists featured it, which was really helpful in kind of engaging more hospitals by just seeing that, like, just from that exposure, I guess. You applied for the Koch Scholarship. You obviously are a Koch Scholar. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Why did you apply to, for the Koch Scholarship? Well, the first kind of simple reason why I applied was because I was I was looking for a way to pay for college, and yeah. uh, it seemed like a good way to pay for college, so yeah. I applied. <laughs> yeah. uh, and But I also, looking at the Koch Scholarship and just like the people that I've won in the past and kind of the network of people who I would be able to meet through the scholarship was yeah. really like really crazy to see. And mm-hmm. it was just really cool to like realize that I could be a part of that. And so I applied the first round of application is pretty simple. It's mm-hmm. just, you enter your grades, you enter some extracurriculars and you enter like, there's not even essays. Yeah. You get a recommendation maybe. Uh, I can't remember for sure. And then the second round of of the semifinalist round, it's of 91,000 applicants, there's 1,500 people selected as semifinalists. Mm-hmm. So that came around December, which was mm-hmm. kind of right in the middle of the college process. So I had submitted my early applications. I had submitted my UC application. And that next week, one week, I, I got to focus on Coke and I think my Coke essays were in the end, the best essays I'd written mm-hmm. and I got to move on to the next round. And after that, there was an interview, like a regional interview, yeah. which was, which actually that morning I had another interview, which didn't go as well as I would have liked to, yeah. but that Coke interview in the afternoon went really well, which was uh-huh. good for me, I guess. And yeah. I learned that I got the scholarship in about March yeah. and I got to go to a Coke Scholars weekend, which was actually 
in Atlanta, which was pretty close to me, but there's people from all over the country there. Yeah. Uh, and it was really cool to meet like all the different kids that everybody did different things, right? Everybody's done different yeah. projects, different, had different amounts of impact on their community, had different priorities, different subjects, but everybody's the same in like kind of their drive to make a difference. And that was really interesting to see. And I really enjoyed that weekend uh, here. Yeah. So um, why do you think, you know, you were picked? I mean, there were 91,000 kids that applied. Why do you think you made it? I mean, I can't say for sure, but I think of course, yeah. my having, I didn't meet very many other kids who had built products, right? So yeah. people do projects, people reach out to so-and-so many people, people do community service, like to crazy levels. Like I can imagine doing some of the things that other people have done. A lot of people yeah. do research. That's super impactful. Like one of the first people I met there was time times kid of the year, which was pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. And she did research to help develop one of the technologies I was using the COVID vaccine. Just mm-hmm. also crazy. I could not imagine doing that. Making products really helps you make an impact on the world uh, mm-hmm. because you does not, you make a product to be used, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're trying to make something that's just cooler or I guess more, technically impressive yeah. uh, but when you make a product you you know that your main goal is to like impact the people who use it right mm-hmm. so that's one of the reasons why i think i stood out but you can never know so how has it made a difference i mean i know it's just been a few months how do you think it's making a difference getting a Coke scholarship? I mean, so far, it's just been meeting new people, meeting like really cool people who are just your friends. Like mm-hmm. you just talk to somebody randomly and and then only after you see their Coke Scholar bio and you're like, wow, they did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I talked to somebody who's a speechwriter on two senators campaigns. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Like, it's just cool to, like, meet other people like that. And also, it was really cool because Coke Scholars Weekend happened a couple weekends before the Stanford Admin Weekend. And Mm -hmm. it was cool. Admin Weekend, I already had a couple people that I knew from Coke Scholars. And I already had, like, that base group of friends going in. Let's uh, seg a little bit to your college search process, you know, how you went about looking for college. Give us a feel for how you approached it and um, how you finally made your decision to go to Stanford. So for me, I live in Atlanta, which is actually really good for the college process because Mm -hmm. Georgia has a really strong in-state university program. So Mm -hmm. I had basically, you you go from schools like Kennesaw State and Georgia State, which are like your typical state schools, to Mm -hmm. UGA, University of Georgia, which is actually a really, really good school that's Mm -hmm. fairly 
like accepts a fair amount of its applicants and is pretty nearby and mm -hmm. is also basically free. So that mm -hmm. was really valuable to have that kind of safety net below me of yeah. different schools that I was fairly confident I could get into. And actually UGA releases a decision before everything else happens. The mm. releases during Thanksgiving break. So mm. once I got that decision, I was fairly locked in to that was my one safety school. I can now kind of reach high, right? Sure. So the next step from that in-state in Georgia is Georgia Tech, which also mm -hmm. accepts a lot more in-state people. Mm -hmm. And it's a super good school. Yeah, that absolutely. basically, and considering it's free, it basically rules out the majority of schools around mm -hmm. the country. Because mm -hmm. if you can go to Georgia Tech for free, why would you go to somewhere else Yeah, for so and so many dollars a year? So that was a huge thing, like influence on my college search process. So I was basically looking at the like maybe 10 schools that mm -hmm. were better at Georgia Tech for the things I was interested in, mm -hmm. which when I was looking around, I was looking at computer science, I was looking at engineering, and I was looking yeah. at kind of a more interesting way of thinking, like a more product design kind of way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So I looked at some of the Northeast schools, didn't love them. I, mm -hmm. I really liked MIT. Mm -hmm. I really liked Yale. I liked Harvard. I liked Dartmouth and then Columbia. And then, but the other ones didn't really call to me as much. So mm -hmm. I looked on the West coast. I really liked UC Berkeley and I really liked Stanford. That mm -hmm. was basically it. Right. So when I was applying, I applied early to Stanford I got in early to Stanford. So that basically meant that my winter break was very chill. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't spend very much time working on my other applications. And I ended up applying to MIT, Harvard, and Yale as well. Uh, but I only got into Yale. Uh, <laughs> but I was pretty set on Stanford from the moment I got in. And sure. the, the, the main reason that I applied to Stanford early and – I chose Stanford was because of their way of thinking. So mm -hmm. Stanford has a design school, the D Absolutely. school, which mm -hmm. is extremely good. And it's like pretty much one of a kind, like no other school in the country has like that kind of a program because their design school isn't like RISD type of design. It's like design thinking and thinking about how you design products. So I applied with a product design major mm -hmm. and yeah, it was really unique for Stanford to have that that program, and that really influenced like my decision. Uh, I think Stanford also was a really good fit for me personally because of my product-based learning style, and it's and it's like kind of capability to kickstart products. Mm -hmm. I really thought that was something that I was looking forward to at Stanford and yeah. At the outset, you said that this whole product-based thinking was an alternate or an alternative to sort of the project-based um, extracurriculars that people do. Um, and that is better or different, or at least, in your mind, a better way of going about it. Um, make a case for that. I mean, why do you say that? 
I don't necessarily think it's a better way. I think it's a better fit for me. And yeah. it's a way that I guess is underestimated in a way as a way to make impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, because so essentially the traditional way would be to either do research or to do community service, like start a program that would impact many people yeah. around the state or yeah. do research that would be used in some technology somewhere in the future. But for me, I really wanted to have an impact, right? Mm-hmm. And to have that impact, I wanted to create something like you can you can have an impact by running a program that many people come to. And you can also have an impact by enabling somebody to do something they wouldn't have thought they could have done before, right? Mm-hmm. So serving that need. So I really focused on kind of starting from that need and then going and then branching out to what can I do to serve that need rather than what can I do? And then branching out to what needs can I serve, you know? So mm-hmm. starting with the need in mind and then seeing what I could do to serve that need. And a lot of, a lot of times that, what, that meant like building a product. And the product doesn't necessarily have to be, I guess, like a tangible thing or like a digital product. It can also be a service or something else like that. But sure. I really value kind of starting from the, the root cause of the issue and then targeting like how can you save it because you can start let's look at the issue of oxygen shortages you can raise money which i did a little bit of raising money but i don't think that was as impactful even though we raised a lot of money i don't think it was as impactful as spending time to create a product that hospitals would use you can raise awareness you can develop research that that could help treat a patient with less oxygen to help prevent those shortages. But in the specific situations that I was working in, I thought that it was really important to make something that could be used right then. And that could be used by a wide variety of people around the world to create that impact that I was talking about. So that's where the product comes in. And you don't really see many high schoolers, making products, which, which is interesting to me because that was always how I was approaching things. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if like things shift in that direction. So where are you headed? I mean, you're going off to Stanford. What is, what are you looking to accomplish and what are you looking to do in the future? I don't know, but like for sure, I have no idea. Yeah. I'm pretty confident that I'll major in one of either product design or computer science. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who knows? That could change too. Uh, yeah. But I think that one of the biggest things will be doing something related to product and looking at the market and looking at ways that you can serve the market in different ways. Uh, and building things to do that. So whether that's working at a company that does that or starting my own company, that's what I'm really interested in doing career-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Makes just, sense. Go ahead. Yeah. I just want to have an impact on something that can impact as many people as possible uh, in as strong of a way as possible. So whether that be through a product that's super impactful for a certain a small group of people, like the eye-controlled wheelchair or not not as impactful, but for a way larger group of people like the Oxygen Planner app. 
I think yeah. that's something I'm really passionate about and something I want to keep working towards, I guess, as I move on out of school. I wanted you to reflect on and give some advice for the rising seniors and other high schoolers out there um, about how they ought to think about college and their futures. What might be some tips or advice that you might give? In terms of just life in general, it mainly matters that you're doing something that you really enjoy doing and you do things your own way. Because as soon as somebody tries to imitate something else, Mm -hmm. it becomes like you're not working at your full potential, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something I like to tell everybody that whenever they try and imitate something or they're trying to replicate something, it you're working on their, whoever you're replicating's like kind of mindset. You're not working in your own way, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really valuable in all aspects of life. And in terms of college, the same applies. But also, you don't need to do any particular thing to get into college. You need to do whatever thing you think of doing as well as you can. So my friend was like, but you can't get into college making sandwiches. I was like, but if you make like a couple thousand sandwiches for homeless people, you appear on MasterChef based on how good your sandwiches are and so on, no college is not going to admit you, right? Yeah. So whatever you want to do, you can get into college doing it. You just have to know to push yourself to do whatever that is you're doing to kind of as high of a level as you can. So, yeah, that's basically it. Okay, that's, you know, I think uh, that's great advice, sound advice. And um, Sanchez, so we are going to wind down now. But uh, any closing thoughts before we sign off? I mean, just the typical be yourself to what you love. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, Asanshe, congratulations again on all that you've been able to accomplish for the Koch Scholarship, for your you know, Stanford admittance, and I wish you all the best um, as you go forward, and uh, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. But for right now, take care, be safe, and have a great summer. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed our podcast with Asanshe Gupta. Asanshe's commitment to using his talents to build things that impact people is quite amazing. His passion, commitment, and dedication while building the Oxygen app during the pandemic to help elderly in India demonstrates a huge amount of compassion. Winning the Coca-Cola scholarship has helped vindicate this approach to helping others. In addition, to giving him access to a stellar community of Koch scholars to help and mentor him. I wish Asanshe all the best at Stanford University and beyond. I hope this podcast inspires you through high school and as you prep for your own college journey. For your questions or comments on this podcast, please email podcast at almamatters.io. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast today. 
Transcripts for this podcast and previous podcasts are on almamatters.io forward slash podcasts. To stay connected with us, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify or visit anchor.fm forward slash almamatters to check us out. Till we meet again, take care and be safe. Thank you. College matters. Alma Alma matters. matters.